Hello, good people, and welcome to the Brunswick Beer Collective. This is episode two of season 19. Um, I'm Chris Shorten. With me is Carl Campbell. Howdy. With me is Paul Christoph. Good afternoon. And Jeff might join us later. Um, so uh, I suppose the big news to start with, if you'll listen to this um, when it when it drops, this will be, uh, which will be Thursday, this will be your last day of being in lockdown. In, if you're in Victoria, at least. Um, how are we all feeling about that, fellas? Oh, so excited. Excited but apprehensive. It was very, very sudden. But, I, you know, it was going to happen in two weeks anyway, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, think, a, I think it's a little like that. Hmm. Well, I feel the, uh, the to me, the, the uh, my house party thing is, was the unexpected um, curveball there, which is, yeah, sort of 10 people in your houses unrestricted. Mm, mm. That really, and it's like, um, tr- uh, I think it was the rule was like, try and make sure they're fully vaccinated, something like that. Yeah, it was highly suggested. Yeah. Mm, mm. Very unexpected. Mm. But I think that's a, that's a big news for the, uh, that's a big news for the week. But we have guests. Um, and they're, they're kind of waiting patiently and try, um, are trying to look cool, which, of course, you know, they are. They're way cooler than us. So we are joined by Ian and we're joined by Shane, and they're from Future Mountain Brewing in Reservoir. Um, say hello, fellas. Howdy. Hey. Um, and so, f- uh, I mean, I, I think Future Mountain has been on our list of getting people, uh, getting onto our show for pretty much um, since you guys opened because you're doing kind of interesting things. Um, so what, for those those at home who may not have heard of you, tell uh, uh, what's your story? What's your deal? Uh, uh, okay. Uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. Normally Shane kicks it off, but uh, he just pointed at me. Um, well, you did say before we uh, recorded that you were the one who did the better um, tours oh, of the no. place. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, so for those listening, so we're releasing this as audio only, but while recording this, we have the we're doing it on a visual thing so we can all see each other on the screen. So we are up, down, pointing, left, right, yep. on all of that. Cool. Um <laughs> anyway, yeah, so uh uh Future Mountain Brewing and Blending, uh we're a um a, a farmhouse inspired uh brewery. So we do, uh, we kind of specialize in kind of saisons, mixed fermentation, and uh, barrel-aged sour beers, really. That's kind of all we do. Uh, we're, a, we're a brew pub as well. We have a kind of, it's kind of a brew pub model. So uh, we have a small system. Uh, we, have a, we have a fairly large um, oak cellar, um, an open fermentation vessel, um, yeah, and a 120-person 120, 120 brew pub uh, on Plenty Road, um, on the 86 tram in Reservoir. Sweet glorious 86. Mm. Um, uh, okay, so, I mean, I, I, I think the obvious thing to, thing to ask is why, wh- why have you gone down this road of just doing um, um, mixed fermentation and farmhouse? And so, uh, tell people a little bit what that actually means. Um. I guess that's, you know, primarily uh, for us, we wanted to uh, open a brewery and brew the styles of beers that we, you know, are genuinely passionate about, the styles of beers that we love. 
Um, we didn't think we'd have to that, that we uh, needed to be the 800th brewery in Australia to do a pale ale. So we thought that um, you know sort of that that segment of the market's already done. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of uh, it's very different craft beer landscape to what it was you know 10 years ago where sort of uh, respectfully you know that's that's what you did had to do when you open a brewery was that you had to tick all the boxes of the sorts of beers um, that we all know and love you know pale ales and IPAs and wheat beer, uh, wheat beers and a stout in winter um, but now it's sort of like you know there's there's so many other breweries and producers that you know, you've got um, breweries like Fixation that just do IPAs and obviously, you know, um, guys like Tofa started doing his thing as well. Um, and so, you know, for us, we we were most excited about sort of doing the beers, which we um, were passionate about as sort of beer consumers as well as, as, well as kind of home brewers as well. So. And you guys yeah, were... I was going to say for for those listening that may not be aware, um, you should probably say what um what your roles are in the brewery. Oh yeah, we're both uh, we're we're co-owners and brewers in the brewery. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah, we do everything from um, <laughs> cleaning the toilets to uh, brewing the beer. Uh, not at the same time, but um, <laughs> <laughs> opposite, opposite ends of the day. No. <laughs> But not with the same gloves uh, on. Yeah. No, always drink gloves. <laughs> um, but you don't do the selling because that's Manning's job. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Because yeah. well, we, we, we got did. the yeah we got the message the other day. It's like Manning was like, "Oh, you're doing a podcast with uh, Fish Man." We're like, "Well, I mean, it's it's an idea. I don't think that's a thing that's happening yet." But um, <laughs> word, word spreads fast. <laughs> that's great. Good on Manning. And you guys, you guys were former boat rocker. Yes. Yes. Yep. So uh, that's where we met. Um, we're both brewers at Boat Rocker for a while. We were there. We were both there for um, um, the same reason to do um, to do more barrel aged and farmhouse beers. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and kind of sparked a, a, a kind of a, a similar kind of sparked a friendship on sim on similar you know um ideals and um um and way you know ways that uh we enjoy beer and what wanted to make uh, diff- uh these certain very specific styles of beer so uh yeah it's like uh yeah if you know we, we did long 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 hours on that on that brew floor and um too long if uh if it was down to me but um and so you get to, uh, you 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 get to know someone uh, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Whether they want to or not, want to want it or not. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, yeah, but we we were there together, and then um, Shane was at a, another few breweries before that, and um, so yeah, we've been commercial brewers um, uh, around Melbourne for the last like eight eight years, eight ten years, something like that, something like that. But, so we're not, and, we haven't gone from home brewing to pro brewing, you know. <laughs> yeah. And what was what was the spark that um, uh, made you go from being, um, you know, um, push, pushing someone else's wares to making your own? You know, going all in with all of your family. Well, uh, you know, it, it's um, uh, 
something that we always say when we um, when people show in, you know is interested in wanting to work in a craft brewery is that uh, there's this incredibly romantic notion of the fact that we stand around with um, mm-hmm. uh, wine glasses all day and taste beer and usually accompanied with you know cheese caviar or uh, oysters and things like that and uh, that that's basically the bulk of you know kind of kind of what we do that's that that's the romance right uh, the reality of it is that it's you know extraordinarily tough work under a lot of you know trying conditions and so uh, you've got a lot of things happening at once and you know a lot of balls up in the air that you're kind of juggling and um, you know you do you go from one uh, small family owned family run craft brewery to the next and you know the the theme uh, runs through all of them in 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 that respect it's very hands-on very DIY you do that for a while and you go well hang on I could do it myself instead of doing it for somebody else <laughs> so you know because you know it, it, you do work long hours and you really if you're invested and if you're passionate and if you believe in the product you know you know it's as much fun as what it is work but um, it's you know for us we were like we we both had like what it, uh, like what Ian um, said before we developed a, a really good understanding that we were driven by a lot of the same things a lot of the same goals and objectives and the vision for what we wanted to actually achieve individually there were you know so many similarities and kind of comparisons that it was it was you know sort of almost meant to be and uh you know i personally couldn't have imagined doing this you know on my own especially two and a half years in um having also gone through a pandemic i I would not want to be doing this by myself so you know it's um yeah it's 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 awesome to be you know working with like-minded people and you know doing it doing it for ourselves so we get to kind of say like I was saying before, it's sort of like we brew the beers that we enjoy to drink um, and, you know, we get to be able to have that say and that's pretty awesome. Well, I think it's an interesting point that you raise there with the, with the pandemic because I think a lot of us, I know Jeff had been visited you guys earlier, but I think Kyle, Chris and myself, all our first visit to the brewery was on the first time, which would have been early, maybe two years ago. I wasn't even there for that. Um, I My first visit was um, when I, um, I checked in with my QR code and picked up the um, the beers we'll be drinking later. <laughs> yeah, so so it was, and I think I think that's, but actually, uh, to, to that point, that's a good point, Chris, so I think, you know, a couple of us have been, obviously you you hadn't been, Chris, and were there and walking in, it was like, wow, this is a new brewery at that stage. And, you know, see, seeing all the barrels, seeing the that little room where there's all there was all the yeasts and things fermenting and very interesting. We're like, yeah, like these guys are doing to your point earlier on, this is this is not your standard brewery. Like there's there's some really cool shit going on and and you mentioned Topher before, and that was kind of uh, where I, I know my mind went. It was like, oh yeah, this is very much, you know, give me those sort of vibes. And I think we mentioned, well, like, this is the kind of brewery that we actually need to do a podcast episode in. And then, you know, the the pandemic hits, and eighteen months later, 
it sort of throws throws out all your plans. So from yeah, you know, from our point of view, I guess it yeah you know, means we we do a podcast episode with you guys eighteen months later than maybe we would have liked to have done. But from a from operating a brewery where you you guys have been an operating brewery in lockdown more than you've been out of lockdown. Like how do how does that how does that how's that changed what you had planned pre pandemic, I suppose? Um I think uh I don't know it's it, it, it the kind of brewery that we've um started is pretty it's a pretty difficult um it's pretty difficult to 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 kind of stay strong on 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 a on a um mission statement and um because it's it's very it's very diff- it's very easy very very easy to just divert to an, to another direction um the kind of brewery that we are—it's not that—it's not that—it's not very mainstream at all. Um, these beers, um, a lot of people don't know about them, don't understand them. Um, so, it's—it's it's been quite. At the start, it was very stressful um, with the go- with the government support. Uh, uh, it was it it kind of kept the lights on, and the amount of time that we had doing uh, packaging and just just within the brewery we we really like focused on and and directed uh, kind of all, all of our attention on exactly what we wanted to do so it actually honed we were we actually we've actually honed in more and we've dropped off a few beers that would maybe didn't make sense to our to our brand and what we wanted so we've actually gone a little bit deeper into what we started off doing instead of um instead of trying to just trying to just be they're a bit more um, mainstream, I think, um, which I I love, and uh, we we both love that. So yeah, not compromising. I think that's not compromising. <laughs> that's a really bad answer, but I think um, I think too. Okay. You know, um, it, it's time is a very important factor for the sort of brewery that we are, um, and. When we first opened, we, you know, we had a lot of interest and had a lot of people coming down and, you know, there was um, a bunch of people with their Canteon t-shirts, you know, fanboys coming in and, you know, tasting the beers and, you know, some of the feedback from some people, you know, was, was kind of like, oh, it's not, it's not as um, complex or that, the, or that, you know, the, uh, some of the flavour profiles um, of, of the sort of beers that we do. Uh, people weren't necessarily weren't necessarily expecting and it was always a funny thing because you know you can't open this style of brewery uh, and on the first day when you swing the doors open expect to be able to have this depth of complexity and have house cultures down and that takes time and so you know the the sort of both sides of the coin with the with the pandemic is that you know, like Ian and I, have, we've been working away every day in the last, you know, 18 months of this because mm-hmm. there's always something to do, you know, like fruiting season comes and goes, beer needs to be packaged or whatever. So whilst on from a commercial point of view, it's obviously had, you know, the the, the slowing effect that, you know, every other business has, has, has kind of had, behind the scenes, the time has been kind of ticking along and We've been, you know, developing uh, some of our our mixed cultures through repitching, trial and error with um, some different styles of beer, different forms of um, 
process and things like that. So, you know, like on the commercial side, it's, you know, the, the obvious, you know, breaks have been uh, put on. But behind the scenes, this has all been valuable time that, that, that we feel like um, the beers that we have brought out most recently are some of the cleanest, most balanced beers. Um, and <clears throat> so getting back to the thing that I was saying that when we first opened, you know, like people were like, well, you know, these, these beers are solid, you know, um, feedback, this, that, or, or, or whatever. But, you know, for Ian and I, it's, it's a long-term, it's a long-term plan. And, and what we have planned coming up in, you know, year four and year five, when those things come fruition, we'll, take the maturity um, of our beers and our brewery to to the next level. And that's that's that thing, you know, for us, you know, opening the doors was uh, was only the first step. It wasn't like the end goal. And, um, you know, this is very much a long-term prospect. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of exciting and also terrifying. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's something I, I think is interesting. It'd be when you when you were open pre pandemic. I, f- I feel like you know definitely um, you know sort of from Brunswick Beer Collective point of view, all us guys were like, yeah, you guys are doing all these interesting, you know, fermented and funky yeast and stuff like really really cool. But going to the venue, it was actually it catered to that side of things but also it was a very it's a very welcoming venue like there's families there and people with their kids running around and people that aren't necessarily beer people as well and I I think that's that's quite an interesting it's quite an interesting um you know dichotomy there where you've got people that are really you know be a geeky into this you know funky stuff but also just a family friendly locals venue where that's very accessible so how do you from from event i guess from a venue point of view more than a beer point of view like how do you i I felt like you had struck that balance quite well early on but i suppose with the way you want to evolve the brand like how do you continue to strike the balance of the venue being that sort of something that's a you know accessible venue and also a a beer gig venue at the same time um well the we just we designed the venue we built the whole venue and and the the idea behind it was like transparency and accessibility to, to to see how everything's made but also, like the kind of the kind of beers that we do, our saisons, our mixed fermentation beers, they're all very accessible beers, you know. And that's and so it needs to tie in with the venue. So we get locals that have no idea what a farmhouse sale is, no idea what mixed fermentation, and they they couldn't care less, right? But but they some of our mixed fermentation beers are the best selling beers there because they are nuanced and delicate. So you can go either way with our beers, and that's that's kind of how how we design them and how we want them to be. Um, you can just drink pints and pints of this Saison or, or a mixed fermentation farmhouse ale, or you can sit there, let it warm up a little bit and have some cheese with it. Or, you know, so that, that's kind of it's exactly what we're going for. Yeah. Do you, do, you feel like, do you feel like you get people that come to the venue and they're like, oh, we don't like beer, and then they see what you're doing and they're like, oh, I didn't realise that beer could be this. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, we get that. We get that um, a lot. And yeah, like what like what Ian was saying, you know, it's sort of we, um, you know, when we opened the doors, <clears throat> we didn't really have, you know, just there were we didn't we certainly didn't have you know an IPA or a pale ale per se, and you know um, opening a brewery like that in Reservoir. You know, a lot of people were like, well, how do you go, you know, kind of catering for the locals and things like that. And they, um, they, they're fascinating thing, you know, the, the first year or so of us being open, Ian and I worked the bar uh, every weekend, which from a, from a brewing point of view and from a business point of view is, is actually, you know, really good um, direct customer feedback. So it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of, We've learned that the brew pub model is a wonderful model because you basically all all of your R and D is going straight from 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 the brewery straight in, into consumers' hand hands pouring it at the tap room, and you get to see what resonates with people, you know, what people like, what they don't like. But we, you know, we we have twelve beers, we have twelve beers on tap, and it's actually it's actually uh, like a really cool experience having somebody in. Uh, to the tap room that hasn't been there for the first time, not being very familiar with what beers we do or different styles of beers or whatever, mm-hmm. and just taking the time to actually, you know, flick them some tasters and go, well, what do you think of that and blah, blah, blah. And the classic one is that, uh, you know, you'll get somebody that will come in and go, oh, I'm, I'm not even a beer drinker. Um, I, I drink wine. You go awesome, excellent. Try this, and then you give them, you know, two or three uh, tasters of some, you know, our gold, our blended golden sour beer, or sort of one of the fruited sours, and invariably they go, oh my god, I didn't realise that, you know, beer could taste like that, and, you know, and, and that. So there is a lot of that sort of crossover for us that sort of we can kind of pick up from, uh, from, you know, um, our wine consumers and cider and things like that. So. I, the biggest thing that we have learned is the fact that I don't think consumers are given enough credit um, for for their willingness to actually try something new. And, you know, it's sort of like people come to the tap room, whether they're there, you know, for a mate's birthday or catching up with friends or, you know, um, but we sort of pride ourselves on the fact that there's always something there for somebody to drink and and you give somebody, you know, two or three tasters and, it's that it's that funny thing. You get different demographics of of people and groups come in, and you know people are in shouts or whatever. And before you know it, like you know, ten or twelve blokes that you would have thought would never have been into a you know a spiced farmhouse ale, they're all drinking pints of of exactly that and and kind of having a ripping time. So. You know, it's like people's willingness to try things is, like I think, is is sort of underestimated. Yeah, yeah, and especially when you you take away their uh, normal their normal option, there's no pale ale, there's no lager on the menu. That's when that's when you start to that's when you start to see them, uh, yeah, experiment with it uh, or or try something, and then boom, you're in. You know. Mm. Yeah, well, I think the style of beers are very. So, I mean, you know, my wife, Lauren, is the, the perfect example, the classic, you know, I, I hate beer person and she she does genuinely, for the most part, hate hate beer. I remember we went to um, Ballast Point, the the one in um, Little Italy in San Diego, and 
the guy's like, oh, no, you're like, oh, you don't hate beer. You just haven't tried the right beer. And then after he'd given her like 20 beers, he's like, oh, you really hate beer. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I mean, uh, there was she, she did a, um, I can literally count the beers she's loved on one hand, but they tend to be the style that you guys do. So there was like a uh, Umeshu kind of, you know, sour plum beer that Cascade in Oregon did. There was a, you know, an almanac barrel-aged that we did in San Francisco and I think this style the style that you guys are in lends itself to very much towards people that think they hate beer yeah for us one of the guiding principles and and you'll probably hear me say this like 15 times throughout this uh, podcast when we're trying beers later on but you know it's like the guiding principle for for both Ian and I in terms of, you know, when we're thinking about what sort of beers to make and then also tasting and blending beers is uh, balance and drinkability. And if you can if you can get those two parameters put into any style of beer, you'd be pretty hard pressed to find somebody that wouldn't embrace any or all of those beers. It could be anything from an imperial stout to, you know, uh, a highly hopped IPA to a delicate three and a half percent table beer. If if it genuinely has balance and drinkability, I, I, I think most people would at least be able to sort of find their way around getting getting themselves through through a glass. And I think that's that that's something that you know sort of we've learnt as you know consumers as well as you know going from um, enthusiasts to home brewers to then sort of working in uh, production facilities and stuff like that. You know, any of the best beer examples in the world uh, across all of the styles, they have those two elements in spades. It doesn't matter what it is, they're always balanced and they're always drinkable. And drinkability is the key. It doesn't matter if you're talking about wine, cider, beer, drinkability is king. Yeah, well, I think um, if if Jeff if Jeff Square had not um, gone gone blank and muted, he would he would he would agree with me here. But um, oh, there he is. But um, hello, <laughs> Jeff. You know, you you have. Uh, I, I, I hear you. You you were you were with you were with me on the on 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 that the trips I was talking about. Where there's there's no there's no bad versions of a drink. There's just you have you have not had good versions of the drink. No, that's all right. I mean, well, maybe you don't like it, but eventually you need to work your way through it. And then if you get to the end of that, you don't like it, then that's fine. But it just takes yeah. a bit of time. It's but I especially feel with the, with, the, with the style of beers, I feel like you've almost got this uh, three-way Venn diagram where I found you have sort of natural, although I have someone who, if he's listening to this podcast, will hate me using the term natural, um, natural wines. Um <laughs> Then you have these funky ciders, and you have these beers that you guys are doing, and there's there's a um, there is an overlap between those. Like there are the amount of times where I've drunk a, a beer or wine or cider, and I'm like, I don't know if this is a beer or a wine or a cider. Like that that's something that I've found very interesting with this wild yeast natural ferment kind of world is that through those three styles of drink, it's there, there is an overlap where you actually can't tell if is it a beer, is it a wine, is it a cider, which I find very interesting. I suppose, you, I mean, you guys would have noticed that, but I would suppose what, what's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess the one thing that, that about that, that that I would say is that it's, it's like 
uh, why we're so uh, drawn to farmhouse beers as a sort of subset or a, or a, uh, a group of beers. Um, and that, you know, and that's because, you know, it's sort of like when you brew a pale ale, when you brew an IPA, you know, like there's BJCP style guidelines defining elements that, that actually is a criteria which you need to be able to meet, which is great from a, you know, consumer consistency point of view to be able to know what, you, what you're buying. Um, and, you know, that's, that's great that, that, that those style guidelines and parameters exist. Um, but some, uh, you know, to be honest, sometimes that can be that can be limiting, and that's a wonderful thing about you know uh, working with sort of mixed culture beers um, and, and and what we interpret as being farmhouse beers. Um, there aren't style guidelines, so it's you're purely going by feel. And I think for uh, my understanding of you know sort of um, the sort of pet nats and natural wine world. Um, is that there? There seems to be a lot of, of those blurring of those lines. Mm. You know where it's not just a particular varietal. It's just it's it's a beverage that that somebody has chosen to throw together a whole bunch of different you know sort of uh, grape varieties and it's it's alcoholized and it's wonderful. So yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's no surprise that. There, there, there are a lot of examples of yeah where brewers are working with wineries that are doing these sorts of things, and the almost the the winery is brewing a wine with the idea that the barrel is going to have certain characteristics. And the so I know I know I know Topher's doing this um, a lot with the the wine is being made with the idea that the once the wine is out of the barrel, the barrel will have certain characteristics and the beer that is going to go into that barrel is going to that barrel knowing that the barrel will have these characteristics and almost that real collaboration with winemaker brewer, which is, I think it's really exciting. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, uh, that, that concept as well is maybe where people um, don't, uh, fully grasp is that before we put before we put anything in a barrel or or, or put it with a mixed culture that's that that's all thought about mm. so it's not it's yeah so it's it's not just throwing something into a barrel and hoping for the best that's that's where that's where I think like the the wildflower us and some I'm not naming names but um that's where the, that's where that experience comes in it's like a lot of breweries have barrel programs you know and it's just putting some beer in a corner, throwing some stuff in it, hope, hope uh, throw, throwing a lab culture in it, hoping for the best. And so that that that's 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 very different to what to what we do. So how do you we, so how do you approach your? I suppose yeah, when when you're when you're thinking, okay, we need to release a new beer. I suppose yeah, I suppose yeah. Talk talk me through the process of. How do you yeah ch- choosing a barrel and when, choosing when to put the beer in the barrel? Like how how do you approach that process? Well, yeah, it's it's like it's it's an 18, 18 month process. There's there's blending involved at the end. Um, there's you know there's there's beer that doesn't make it, but it's 
it's really being in tune with your with the mix culture that we're using um, and and the oak that we're using. So it'll go all the way. So it's not like oh, we're going to release a new beer. It's 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 more like let's make more of this beer, and how can we how can we move and drift this beer into the in, into the into the direction that we want it to go that doesn't always work and that's where blending is involved but it's design it's 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 moving it's moving cereals around in the beer for texture for for just for impact of the of the fermentation it's uh it's ibus it's uh for uh, acid control it's 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 and just general blending at the end so it's there's a lot of lot of thought that goes from start to finish um and a lot of the time it doesn't work out um but that's where that's where like Shane and I are pretty in tune with all of our mixed cultures. We probably have about eight of them all up. Um, so every time we move something into a into a barrel that has that mixed culture, we, we'll we'll normally change something. Um, we'll always change something because it it they always move. So they always drift. So do you sort of um if I think from a West bring a coffee sort of um philosophy into it, do you? Do you go into a beer thinking, oh, this will, for 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 better, for lack of a better term, being this is this is going to be a single origin, you know, beer. We're going to put this beer into this barrel, and then that's the way it's going to be, or it's going to be a a a blended beer. Do you do you approach it from the start thinking it's going to be that sort of single origin kind of pathway or do you say oh we're going to try a few things and then maybe it'll work as a single origin or maybe we need to blend it depending on how it's evolving over time like how how does that process work primarily for us like you know it's sort of you know we are a fermentation based brewery so fermentation is really you know is the primary driver it's the it's the it's the underlying um, uh, element that we work our uh, work the hardest on trying to um, not manipulate but to sort of you know coerce along to get the, the desired outcome so fermentation is really the focus um, I've got to say it's, it's sort of like <clears throat> there is a lot made about you know the barrels and the uh, resident um, uh, liquids that was in the barrels previously, but you know, for, for us, like starting at at the very basic, at the very um, starting point, we were very lucky that that we um, we got all of our barrels from a cooper uh, named Andy Stiller um, over in the Barossa Valley. We'd pre- we'd had previous dealings with him, and um, he he's a wonderful cooper that um, his barrels. Um, he he uh, looks after and uh, so when we got these our neutral oak barrels from from Andy Stiller they were they were amazing they were pristine they were clean um, now we we sort of we look for neutral oak barrels so barrels that that aren't going to impart huge amounts of flavour um, or anything like that because ultimately for us getting back to that notion of fermentation. What we're looking at primarily from the barrels is that they are fermentation vessels and it's what the actual oak, what the barrels themselves from a fermentation point of view can contribute to the maturation and everything. So the micro-oxidization that happens because, because you know, because of the, because of the permeability of the, of, of the oak, 
that um, that's that's a really that's a really important you know sort of element and driver for us, and that's probably what we try to focus on more. So when we so when you're talking about you know that 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 sort of um, bringing together of of the liquid into the into the oak, um, you're off to a really good start, and this is what Ian and I have learned through trial and error over the years. You're off to an amazing start if you've got a really clean barrel to begin with, right? That's what that's what what we sort of build on from there. And it's what we look at that will happen with that barrel from what we put into it after after sort of we draw from it and then add um, more beer back on top of it. So then it's what these barrels, how they will start to behave in 12 months, two years, five years' time as we are basically just maintaining and feeding them. And that's what is the, 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 the thing that we labour over a lot. And are you finding that, you know, the more the more progress your brewery becomes, you're, I guess, you're you're learning what how certain barrels will react and what the result will be over time. Uh, yeah, there's. I mean, uh, in winter they go completely dormant. It's just a so we we kind we kind of of the last definitely over the last 18 months, we've kind of tried to look at it more, uh, more of our packaging and blending as like a, like a winery. We do it kind of a big pack once a year or once, you know, in, in there's like a five, kind of a five month period that we try and get it done because there's really no point. Like, uh, like three months ago there, you know, all, our cellars at 13 degrees, there's no movement. They're completely dormant. It's, it's kind of pointless, um, especially when if you if we're taking beer from that, like it's ready, we can take beer from it and blend it. But if we go back on top, um, there's not much happening, you know. And 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 a, a lot can happen. A lot a lot of negative things can happen in, uh, on those kind of temperatures. So we need them to be active pretty quickly, and they don't. So um, I can't remember the question now, but uh, the no, I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> Oh, the change. Oh, the, oh yeah. The, so, so in, in our uh, <laughs> in our cellar, we have about thirty punchins, and punchins are five hundred liter um, oak vessels. And yes, there's favorites in there for sure. There's um, there's some in there that they share. They don't share the same culture, but there's like two or three cultures in there. And there's about four or five barrels that just come up every time. They just they just deliver every time. Yeah. Um, so they worked pretty hard. But uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, uh, even with the exact same culture, the exact, exact same treatment of the barrel at the start, the exact same wort going in there or beer going in there, um, they, they all, um, they're all their individual kind of vessel. They, they all, they all perform in, in different ways. Yeah, I guess the temperature thing is, um, I was at Starward in May, I think, before lockdown. And even just the the difference in what happens with a barrel that's at the you know at the top of the stack versus mm-hmm. the ones that are at the bottom of the stack, how much that can actually impact what's what's going on inside the barrel. It's yeah, yeah. We yeah we certainly have the same thing, and we, you know we're only sort of four, six, what are they, four, three or four barrel stacks high, 
and we we notice a marked difference um, as as seasonal temperatures start to change and fluctuate. Uh, notice a marked difference between the barrel on the top and the barrel on the bottom. Um, but do you, do you rotate your do you rotate the barrels? They do move. Yeah, so they do move the barrels. The barrels yeah. do. Yeah. The brigs do, but the punchins are on a stillage, so we can't really move. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that was a th- you know that was that thing. It's it's like the whole you know, um, uh, that interplay between you know sort of the commercial aspect and the and the production creative aspect and the the to and froing was that um, the first year for us um, trying to you know, move beer through um, to kind of keep up with demand and, you know, we've only just just opened, you know, we, we were fighting against, um, you know, the most basic element being Mother Nature that you, doesn't matter how hard you fight, you can't necessarily um, bend that one. So, you know, that's what it was the biggest realisation after the first full year, first full, you know, sort of um, uh, uh, cycle through the seasons was was coming to that realization because previously, as production brewers, you can brew any of the beers twelve months of the year. You know, it, it's sort of like you're more focused on keeping things chilled um, than what you are. You know, uh, trying to keep things uh, kind of warm per se. So I think you know, it's that it's it is that farmhouse element. It's that more sort of like um, uh, wine. Uh, production point of view that we're starting to move all of our production cycle and the way that we package and the volumes and all of those things are starting to shift away from the 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 12 month a year production thing that you would get from just you know from being a pale ale brewery to doing the sort of beers that we do um and yeah it's like um sort of knowing that the the lull times of the year in winter and then making hay while the sun shines. So. Well, the sun is about to start shining. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Better. Um, so I have, a, I have a question that doesn't involve, uh, doesn't involve um, barrels. Um, so you have beers named Series of Dreams, Fortune Telling Lady and Born in Time. Who was the Bob Dylan fan here? <laughs> <laughs> are, they, are they Dylan lyrics? Didn't, didn't realize. Did not realize that. <laughs> uh, we, so, but, yeah, we both are. I mean, and they're very—they're not like known known Dylan ones because I recognized them and I thought, well, they're all from—they're all from Telltale Signs, which are all from the um, the um, Time Out of Mind outtakes. That's a very obscure reference. <laughs> really, I didn't know that. <laughs> so. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, uh, uh, we're we're big Dylan fans, so we're, we've got all the bootlegs and uh, all the B sides, everything. So, yeah. why do you why have you decided to name your beers after that? Um, well, it's Just, it's like it, uh, it's um, you know for us, uh, like what we were saying before about how you know we had a mutual you know respect and admiration for styles of beers and brewing ethos and things like that, you know, it was sort of, uh, we're very passionate about uh, music and very passionate about what we consider to be good music. Um, and so we just, uh, it's just kind of came about when we had to come to the unfortunate task of um, realising that we're going to be open in 
um, in a month's time, we needed to start naming our beers. So we thought, well, why don't we just sort of just use it as like musical references? So we basically just um, uh, sat down and, and we've, we've got an ever-evolving list of, uh, you know, sort of obscure lyrics or song titles or anything from any manner of musicians. It happens to be the, you know, a lot of them do come from Dylan, uh, from uh, Bob Dylan. But, yeah, so where a funny story was, you know, kind of when we first opened, we named these beers, you know, we had two-wheeled Gypsy Queen and fortune-telling lady and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, as we've said before, Ian and I aren't hospital guys and we, we, we open our new tap room and we were very fortunate to have a whole lot of people come in and we've got no idea about serving people and stuff and we're standing there, uh, Ian and I, with professional bar staff and people are coming up going, I'll have two two-wheeled gypsy queens and one fortune-telling lady and we were like, fuck, what's that? <laughs> we had to look up at the beer list and go, ah, oh, it's the apricot sour. Okay, no worries at all. So... Yeah, it was. Um, we we realised that it would have been much easier if we just had have called it something like apricot sour, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but given you know, I, I we spoke about this last week how um, Little Bang did their thing where um, that they just randomly generated sixteen thousand um, um, beer titles. Um, it's getting harder and harder to come up with beer titles. So I feel like it, um, song lyrics or a- anything from the Bob Dylan library is probably a good place to start. Yeah. Well, there was a um, a, f- a friend of ours or uh, on um, Facebook. He he bought he had two range beers, and he posted a side by side photo of the two cans next to each other on his Facebook account, and it was like the two different beers, but the descriptions were exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> And I love range beers, don't get me wrong. But um, yeah. <laughs> there are only so many, you know, double oat cream, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's yep. only so many different ways you can put the order of a certain number yeah. of in. Yes. <laughs> love it. We love you, Range. Absolutely. That is mm. good beers. Hi, Range. <laughs> so, um, I mean, you guys, um, obviously, you've got your niche sort of worked out. Does that mean that we're never going to see? I mean, uh, uh, you know, if if you could take your um uh, uh, your skills in um this field, would you ever consider like, uh, are we going to see an oat cream IPA um ca- uh, coming out of uh, coming out of Future Mountain? Well, so uh, no, 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 the question wasn't directed at me, but um, yesterday I made a um I did a verbal slip up, but then it actually gave me a great idea. Um, Future Mountain culture. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a collaboration waiting to happen right there, right? Yeah, when they when when Mountain Culture first first started, we actually got one or two emails asking if uh, from stockists if that if we could send them their price list for Mountain Culture beers. <laughs> for like, had to send them an email back going wrong brewery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At a festival, they're like, oh, a guy came up and said, oh, I love your beers. Oh my gosh, so good. I was like, well, thank you very much. Um, and uh, said, oh, uh, yeah, all those cans and stuff. I was like, no, we don't do cans, mate. You got the, you got the wrong one. Yeah. No, no. If, if, you're, if you're listening, DJ, Future Mountain Culture, let's make it happen. <laughs> or, or DJ, if you're not listening, we'll make you listen. <laughs> but, they, do, they, they do great music, oh, yeah. Mountain Culture. Big fan. We're big fans of them. Uh, are we? Uh, have you got plans for a Gabs beer? 
I see you didn't last year. Well, this year, I should say. We're having Gabfa. No. Gabfa. Gabfa is happening in January, right? What's that? Geelong, the oh, Geelong Beer Festival. Oh, all right. Are you guys Have doing you? the festival circuit? Or? No, we did We did the first year, Gabs. We didn't put a, a beer in. We didn't do one of the wacky beers. Um, but we had a stall uh, the first year. Um, so we did We did that as the things we do. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. Um, the, uh, we had a stall there from a brand recognition point of view. So, you know, we, we bowl up to the beautiful exhibition buildings and we've got our uh, chili bin um, uh, jockey box and a roll of hash and, and a Bunnings trestle table, <laughs> and we walk we walk through the feral disco, and, <laughs> and we're just like, man. So uh, nuts, yeah. It, it, you know, it's awesome to see um, you know friends of ours there, like uh, Sailor's Grave um, and uh, Dollar Bill. I know Dollar Bill have done it a few times. Uh, Molly Rose um, was there. Yeah. So, it, it, like, like it's always awesome to see, you know, um, you know those guys there. But I don't know. We w- wouldn't. Re- I sort of don't know if we'd go back there again. So, you're from New Zealand, Shade? No, I'm just. I'm, <laughs> I just. <laughs> I didn't pick the. I said, I said I didn't pick an accent. You Sorry. Said I was like, Wait. So, no. Really, really exotic. Tell, tell them, Shane, where you're from. <laughs> as soon as they it, I was like, wait a minute. No, no, well, I, uh, Ian would know that uh, I'm a man of uh, many accents. So I, I, <laughs> so I just slip in and out of it. I, I, I know it. <laughs> I'm not. I lived in a share house with one uh, some time ago, when I say one, a Kiwi. Um, <laughs> but, yes, no, I'm not. I'm not. Sorry. But you do get people. I mean, if we're gonna, we need we need a token normal for the uh, podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I I met someone in when I was living in London, and she had a strong South London accent. It's like, oh, and she's like, no, I'm from Perth. It's like, well, <laughs> what the hell? So like, how long have you been living in London for? She's like, oh, like two months. It's like, what? how does that happen? And she wasn't putting it on either. Like in two months, she's gone from classic Perth accent to proper South London accent. So. Yeah, it happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah. And yet Ian's still got a perfect act, uh, perfect um, English accent. How dare you? Okay, I'm well. <laughs> uh, uh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew it the moment I said it. Podcast over. No, yeah. All right. Okay, well, go, I'll see you guys later. See you. I'm just logging off. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Storming out. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a proud Welshman. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, I've been here for about eighteen years, so I got a bloody good, uh, bloody good Aussie accent by now. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, you've you've got to work out what you can uh, what you can put an O on the end of. That's the important thing. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, talk about pauses. Um. All right. So let's. Uh, um, I think we should drink some of your beer soon, but I just wanted to um, touch a little bit on um, when in terms of, um, so you've just, uh, like, you're now in, um, like, a, sorry, you're, uh, you're now in um, bottles where you weren't when you, weren't, when you, when you first started. Um, 
what uh, what is the experience like in terms of trying to get the bot uh, trying to convince a uh, someone who doesn't drink um uh, doesn't drink like you know a farmhouse or a sour and get them and try and convince them to get get it into a bottle shop and then um, move the numbers. How does it? How does that all work? How do you guys go with that? Um, that was a convoluted way of saying it, I'll admit. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, after such a long silence, that it was hard to get back. Uh, to get back. Exactly, it was getting an engine yeah, yeah, started. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, I think it's more about the... Um, probably didn't realize how much ed- education that we have to give um, to, to the bottle shops and to consumers. So that's, that's like a big a big job and maybe we didn't think that we'd have to do that at the start. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty easy, like not easy, but like it's, people are very, um, a bottle shop owners, uh, you know, love our beers. They, they look great. Like Shane's, Shane's wife's an artist. She does, she does our labels. So they, they look amazing on the shelf, you know? So it's more about the, um, selling them through the bottle shops and getting the bottle shop owners to, um, say the right things. And then also, when people buy them, when people buy them, and then for them not to expect that they're going to have a Saison Dupont or they're not going to have a Cantillon, they're not going to have a, a Dre Fontaine kind of thing. So that's 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 like on us to educate on what kind of brewery we are, where we're coming from, and what inf- like what influences our beer. It's, it's not it's it's not. Belg- it's not Belgian lambics, so um, that's that's the that's the hard thing. As like Shane said at the start, when uh, when um, people come in and say, "Oh, it's not very com- complex," but it's like, well, you, you, maybe yeah, it's like you don't fully understand what we're going for, maybe. But that that's that's on us. Like that's that's what we, that's what we have to um, uh, yeah, put across. Yeah, I suppose you know, when the, people say. The thing when you're first, you know, uh, talking about, you know, retailers um, and, you know, a retailer is no different to a consumer from the point of view of like what Ian was saying, having that, you know, that uh, needing to be able to have that conversation to, you know, try and explain the nuances, I guess. And it's a sort of like this, these subset styles of producers and beers um, lend themselves to sort of very easily and almost very flippantly being thrown into the same category. And so they go, oh, you like Wildflower and Dollar Bill and Black Arts. And you go, well, yes and no, as in like uh, we produce a a subset of beers in the same sort of sporting category, but we all play on different fields. And I think that's the thing is, you know, it is like, each one of those producers that I mentioned, they they wonderfully do their style of beers really well, and we're not trying to do anything that either that any of them are doing, and we we sort of so it's like what Ian said, you know, it's sort of like we're not looking at doing lambic inspired, Belgian inspired um, uh, sour beers, um, and likewise, you know, sort of any form of like saisons or farmhouse sales. You know, we're looking at we we very much are heavily influenced by that sort of the that the modern movement of U.S. producers, farmhouse breweries, um, 
uh, sour beer producers uh, like Hill Farmstead and Santo Darius and um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, all like all of those guys, yeah. heirloom, um, you know. So it, it's sort of like where you know they they tend to be they tend to have a cleaner um, flavor profile, um, and it's not. It's that thing where it's so sort of like if you look at that that flavor spectrum of what you associate with those beers and um, you know you're more of your Belgian inspired beers. It's that really fecal blue cheese, real barnyard um, sort of you know goat like all the uh, flavor um, uh, elements that, that that you associate with you know with those styles of beers. But we're going for something different where it's sort of like some of those elements do come through in some parts, but albeit, you know, sort of a lot more nuanced and a lot more subtle. And we're looking for a lot cleaner. And again, you, you know, here, like here we go again, balance and drinkability, right? So, you know, it's sort of like we make sure that, you know, our level of the level of acidity in our beers, we really try and keep in check, um, you know, so um yeah it's that it's that thing so the first the first challenge was um and uh, like my one of my earliest sales experiences was exactly that where we sold a bottle shop a case of our alameda our blended golden sour beer and and the guy uh after after i gave him samples and the guy got back in contact with us after a couple of weeks uh saying that he didn't believe that the price warrant the the price point was warranted based on the fact that they weren't very complex beers, and I was like, "Is there anything wrong with the beer?" It's like nothing at all. I was like, "Right, okay, no worries at all." Well, let me let me tell you a story. So you see, so you you start having to kind of explain. That, that, that's why he's not a salesperson. <laughs> <anymore>. <laughs> we worked out very quickly our strengths and weaknesses in sales. For me, it was not one of them. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, I think it may be um, really simplifying the thing, but I've, I've I've cracked open one of one of them a bit early. But um, and this this isn't a criticism, but uh, like it does it doesn't smell like vomit and diarrhea. The the beer I cracked open when I opened it, and 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 that is and it, and it sounds terrible. That is not a bad thing because those the the, the, oh, the, the, beer, the beers that go for that they <laughs> that that's the thing, isn't it? You you open them and you smell them and they smell foul. And then you drink them, and they are amazing. But your beers don't have that smell at the start, so the instantly that's that's a different that's a different you know a different angle, isn't it? Yeah, you know what? It's 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 interesting that point because um, so mixed culture and sour beers still a uh, can have faults and flaws, um, and I think uh, Ian touched on it before. I think that sometimes um, some producers and some consumers can get confused by the fact that, you know, that, that, that that's what that's meant to taste like. And that education part comes in, you know, where sort of like the old, the old chestnut of somebody coming in going, oh, I hate sour beers. I had a sour beer once. It was blah, blah, blah. And it was gross. I'll never have one again. And you go... Imagine that, like, you know, like there's all these new producers uh, coming out that are doing wonderfully nuanced, really clean, fermented, beautiful, wonderful beers, and somebody has a preconceived idea of one shit beer that they had. And, and it's mm. sort of like that's, that is one of the biggest things that kind of we're up against in this niche within a niche of this, you know, segment of beers that we do is that 
you are immediately behind the eight ball because it's called a sour beer. So you, you have so many people that expect the worst, worst, you know, straight from the start. And, you know, like every brewer and every producer has a responsibility to be able to put out the best beer that, that they can do. And unfortunately, it's sort of like, you know, there are plenty of examples where, you know, with these beers that do command a certain price point, you do try them and you go, oh, man, that's just wrong, you know. And it's like that's consumers will catch up to that and more and more as people are educated and they get an understanding of what uh, uh, of what to look for. Like, you know, it's sort of like it's the most the most sort of, uh, entry level of craft beer enthusiast knows what to look for with oxidation in a nice uh, IPA, right? And then it only takes a little bit level more. And um, you know, some people know what diacetyl is, like you know, basic, you know, fun, uh, like fundamental fermentation flaws. But with this, with you know, with this subset of beers, there's there is still a long way to go in sort of educating and 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 people coming on board and. You know, it's always it's always cool when you do actually do taste any of these beers with could be a coffee roaster or a winemaker. You know, somebody that does have a palate for you know certain flavor things because they will pick up things that are like um, you know sort of uh, everyday sort of beer drinkers may not necessarily pick up straight away. But it's a process, and as people get more attuned with sort of uh, making that association between what they're paying for on the shelf and what they're getting in the glass, I, I think is sort of um, the world will be a better place. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. Uh, I, I, I like that. I like that utopian view of the world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so on that, should we, uh, should we try some beer? I think that's a good idea. Yep. And we are back, and we're on to we're on to our first beer, and our first beer is obviously one from uh, from um, Future Man Culture. Um, uh, and Shane, do you, one of you guys want to tell me what we're uh, about to drink? <laughs> Uh, it's uh, so this is our saison called Constant State. So it's an open, open fermented um, saison with um, a blend of two uh, saison yeasts. Um, so open fermented and then um, dry hopped. Um, okay, for those for those who don't know, what does open fermented mean? And uh, for the sake of clarity, what does dry hopped mean? Um, so we have a, uh, open fermentation vessel in the brewery, uh, not to be, not to be confused with the cool ship. Uh, we don't spontaneously ferment it. Uh, open fermentation is, is a practice that, uh, is sort of widely being used, um, across many breweries overseas for quite a few years. Um, most famously in Australia, probably people would be familiar with White Rabbit White Ale that is openly fermented. Key difference with our open fermenter is that it's that it is very shallow. Uh, the basic principle uh, is that uh, we look to try and influence uh, 
the fermentation and the yeast characteristics, um, sort of uh, the flavour profile of the beer by the process of the of the fermentation. So, like what I said before, it's not a it's not a cool ship. We don't spontaneously inoculate. We do inoculate it with a uh, with a um, uh, strains of, of uh, saison yeast. Uh, so it is. It's pumped into the open fermenter at pitching temperature, so uh, sort of nineteen twenty degrees. Uh, where in a cool ship, it's actually pumped in uh, unchilled, uh, boiling from the kettle, and it cools down overnight and picks up the resident microbes. Um, the general principle uh, with the open fermenter is that uh, yeast behaves differently in its in its environment. Um, and primarily in this situation, uh, in the absence of osmotic pressure. So basically in, in, in a standard closed fermentation vessel, um, the yeast flavour profile uh, and, and the yeast behaves differently because it's, it's, it's under pressure. Um, whilst it could be uh, the arm of the fermenter might be open, there's still uh, osmotic pressure, downward pressure being put on the, on the yeast in the, in, in the liquid. You don't have that in an open fermenter, especially in a shallow open fermenter. Um, so we pump it in there, pitch yeast. It's in there for a couple of days and it crousens up, gets all, gets all foamy. Um, and about two-thirds um, through fermentation, we'll pump it out of the open fermenter into a conical fermenter to finish off fermentation. That, uh, that way we don't pick up any oxidative characteristics because the yeast consumes uh, whatever O2 it might pick up in transfer. Um, and the flavours that we're looking or the influence in the yeast that we're looking for has, has already occurred in the open fermenter. So fermentation finishes off in a standard um, uh, brewing vessel and then once uh, fermentation is complete, uh, we'll then uh, dry hop it. So um, shimmy up the ladder and, and sprinkle some, um, some uh, New World hopsies uh, in the top just to give it a top note of a uh, hop characteristic. Um, not, not, no, uh, no different to what you do with, with IPAs and pale ales and stuff. So has so I know you guys kind of sort of redid your you know, core range. Are you, are you there quite so there because everyone listening can obviously see the visuals. Um, so looking this up on Untapped, it's you know, it's sort of five percent, and everyone that checked it in, it's sort of the old the old branding. So is this is is this a different beer than it was? And if so, what what's sort of the key changes from what people may have known Constant State to have been prior to the re the re you know, jig of the the coin? Uh, no, it's it's exactly the same beer. It's four point seven percent. Untapped got that wrong. Classic. Um, <laughs> and uh, we. We, yeah, we, we don't use Untap, so it's, I guess we just uh, rely on other people doing it. But um, uh, no, it's exactly the same beer. We've just reformatted it. Um, we used to use uh, 500 ml bottles, and Shane and I are huge, big fans of those bottles. But um, uh, yeah, we just decided to make the changes. It's kind of, kind of easier for us um, to process and pack. Um, and the labels change slightly just to it's it's basically the same artwork but it's got a little bit of white around it but less less orange. yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly the same beer exactly the same beer okay but, um what is the 
Uh, what's the um, song behind Constant State? It's not a Dylan song. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking through, sitting through and saying, uh, I can't really think of what Dylan's song it would be, but you know, maybe I've missed one here. That, um, all right. Um, first, first, before we get to what Untapped actually says about this, what do what do we think? First impressions, people. So for me, it's um, kind of harking back to what I said in the previous segment. It's it um, it doesn't have that. that initial smell where you're like, oh, this smells funky. Oh, it tastes delicious. This doesn't smell funky and tastes delicious. But it's the the, the clean, that sort of that that clean um, crispness, crispness, which maybe I wouldn't normally associate with this style of beer, I'm noticing. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I really love it. This is taking me back, like 750 ml bottles. I, I used to drink lots of Saison Dupont when I started getting into craft beer. It's kind of hearkening me back to there, but yeah, it's like nice, crisp, light, kind of peppery and citrus. It's And yeah, just very, very drinkable. Yeah, if you, if you see a... And I've, I've, I myself, have, I'll admit, I've fallen guilty to... Like, I just want IPA, I just want uh, Saison, I don't kind of want to go down that funky route, but this, yeah, is the one where you, uh, wait a minute, you're not going to get that big, you know, funky herb, super herb hit. Like, if you want you want something drinkable, you don't need to discount Saison's. This is, this is kind of where I'd be pushing people towards. It's pretty nice. And it is, um, yeah, I, I, I think the, the thing that resonates to me is it's just... It's super clean. It is really, really clean. Um, uh, most, and you know, I can instantly tell that by the fact that I've almost finished my glass. Um, so, uh, before I, 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 I tend to no, no. We'll we'll, we'll save we'll save um, uh, Ian Shane. We'll save your reviews of your own beer to the end. Uh, let, let's find out what the masses think of this beer. Um, gents, give me some reviews. All right, so we've got a uh, Karen A at bus stop number two six zero six one in Wright Road, PR Waters, Perth. She says, um, "Light spice, floral aroma, easy drinking, three point seven five. You got Joe at the Winston, I think the Winston down in Tassie. Um, textbook says on right. I could drink pints of this, four and a half. Yeah, I feel like, did you guys send a, send a shipment to Western Australia because there are a lot of WA um, reviews in early September? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, David here? M. at Saccharomyces uh, up in Brisbane. Um, beautiful drop, wonderful, wonderfully crisp and refreshing, slightly bready and ever so slightly funky, 4.25. Got a uh, Mitchell T doesn't say where he is, but such a bloody good saison, four point five. Thanks, Dad. Quality reviews. <laughs> Followed by uh, Phil Phil C oh, at no. the Catfish. No score, <laughs> just samples at work. <laughs> 
I got one here. It says the Black Rider, uh, five stars, bloody spot on. That's <laughs> 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 so, Col- Colby GCB at the local tap house. The Education State, three stars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if we go anything, there we go. This is a good one. Um, down to be at the local tap house. This was back in May 2021. Getting a little banana, yeasty, clove perhaps, enjoyable for the style. 3.25. I'm guessing you guys had a yeah, May 20th event at the tap house. Sure, well, at least your, your beer was tapped. It's <laughs> quite a few, um, quite a few check ins there. Oh, here we go. Joe, Joe at the Winston. I know. 21st of April. I think that would have been the one I just What's did that? before. That's the one you did. Um, yeah, that's the one you here's, did. Here's uh, Nick, Nick P drinking at home. Uh, a beautifully classic Saison. Lovely Belgian flavour and aroma. Four stars. Good work, Nick P. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find a shit review now just because they're always funny. But... I want to hear it. Yeah, it's like they're always good. That's, uh... I mean, there's there's not that many shit reviews, which is which is a good thing, yeah. I suppose. There, there, there's <laughs> one up the top um, that was recent. Uh, Tim C drinking it at home, beautifully fruity smell, but the taste is too bitter for a saison. A little grassy. Another case of storing too warm rather than four degrees? Question mark. <laughs> so it's his fault. He stored it incorrectly, and then is marking down the beer based on his uh, oh, shit and, and he's got decision. a follow up on that. He said it did improve with time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, thank God! I love the follow ups. Give us one more. Here one we more. Are. Oh. All right, uh, Staff uh, Pembo at the Stafford Heights State State School. Yes, good old Pembo. Um, Beautiful, style perfect, dry, noticeable pear, definite spice, four stars. Definite spice. Maybe that maybe that's a good name. Definite, mm, definite spice. <laughs> Love it. Well, that's a good one. Oh, O&M. Um, he hasn't said where he is. His picture has a pint and then the menu says hustler on it on the piece of paper next to the pint. Um a tight, clean, effervescent saison with the signature Belgian spice applied with restraint went down a fucking treat with the Philly cheesesteak burger. Three point seven five. Lovely. Mm. That that that's when you know the saisons hit the masses. <laughs> yeah, I just want to know: was it a Philly? Was it a Philly cheesesteak, or was it a Philly cheesesteak burger, or is he just saying it's a Philly cheesesteak burger, but it was actually just a Philly cheesesteak? <laughs> these are the questions that need to be answered. Or was this mystical food device just in his mind? <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So before before we we say what we think, um, Ian Shane, now is now is a moment of truth. What would what what would what do you think of your own beer? And, you know, out of five, what would you rate it? Uh, I'll go, do you want me to go, go first? first? I'll go first. Um, de- definitely five out of five. Um, it's, uh, so the, this, um, this is pretty young at the moment, so these bottles that we're drinking. Um, uh, so the carbonation will come up over, it will creep over the next uh, six weeks or so. Um, but yeah, it's florals, a little bit of spice, super floral and, and fruity, really clean, uh, very, very, very dry. 
Um, and um, yeah, and I, like the the te- the texture element element of it um, with the carbonation is just I don't know. I love it. Obviously, obviously, I love it. I think sorry. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> like the first thing I look for with the saison is um, is the ester profile. Uh, ester profile is something which. Um, you know, sort of uh, breweries that do saisons either uh, nail it or destroy it. Uh, saisons are one of those, you know, sort of frustrating beer styles where, you know, we absolutely love them uh, to drink them. Um, and, you know, sort of two out of three bottle shops will tell you that saisons don't sell. And you would, and technically, a saison as a beer style should be the, the primary beer style in the Australian climate. Like it, it's, it's perfectly matched for. For you know, for the Australian climate, um, but you know, sort of where it's suffered is that uh, over the years, it's sort of like when a brewery when a brewery gets to do a saison once a year, they go all out and try and make it a Dupont clone, um, and a commonly held uh, misconception in terms of how you go about brewing these beers is that they is is that the yeast performs best at uh, super high uh, elevated temperatures. Now, the higher the temperature is one of the parameters uh, for influencing uh, ester production. And unfortunately, it's sort of like the part of that balance and drinkability and being able to get the ester production in check is that you have to have a super dry beer um, because esters and yeast produces glycerol. So it's, it's, there's already a, a residual sweetness even from a bone dry beer. So balance in a saison is absolutely key. So... Um, the first thing that I look for in look for in a saison is the ester profile, and you don't want something that's just over the top. You know, you get these wonderful like pear ester aromas, and if it's if it's the beer is too estery and too strong, it goes into that bruised sort of way overripe pear characteristic. The classic Dupont yeast strain, um, sort of over uh, over pushed in its fermentation profile, will give you a really overpowering bubblegum. Um, uh, flavor profile. So the thing that, uh, that that we love so much about about this beer is the fact that the ester profile we think is strikes a really nice balance. It's got a really nice fruitiness without being really overpowering. And yes, there is there is uh, spice there, but it's also got this really lovely soft floral uh, note and an element to it. And I just I just think that the that the ester profile and this is sublime. So I have to give it six stars out of five. Good, good work. <laughs> that um, and see, in my mind, I was imagining you trying to put all of that into an untapped um, review. <laughs> I was going to say, how many, how many characters do you get yeah. for, for, for untapped? I'm sure I'm sure I went over, but uh, you know, worth it. It's exactly. So I think we've ever, we've had, ever had a brewer give their beer six stars. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. Well, see that that is BS because every single brewer wants to give them and believes that their beer is six stars, but they're being too humble. That's that's not mm. that's that's not me. That's, that's not, not me after eighteen months of uh, homeschooling and lockdown, mate. I'm going all out. <laughs> you definitely definitely haven't gone down the uh, the Hendo route on your on your ratings. I don't know how to take that. No. <laughs> What's that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, Hendo was very uh, 
I think he underrated. Oh, yeah. Oh, No, that does ring a bell. No, nah, yeah. nah, your beers are awesome, Hendo. No, no, no. Come on, mate. It's like... <laughs> 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 all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's, let's wheel this around. Um, Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, like the, the balance and drinkability, as you you guys were talking about before, like that's what you're aiming for. You've like you fucking nailed it with this. It's yeah, the the length on your palate combined with that dryness, I think, works really well. And it it is a perfect sort of summer, you know, pint round kind of beer. Uh, I'm I'm gonna give it four. Nice, Paul. Yeah, I think I'm I'm going three point nine. Like I'm. Uh... <laughs> But no, that 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 is good. If you know, if you know my rating scale, <laughs> I, I, so I've got my three point five would drink again. Three point seven five is very good. So usually most beers rate on the three three point seven, three point eight. So I'm going three point nine, which is actually a high rating beer on my rating scale. Look, I'm just and just because it's yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's everything that you said. Like it's um. It's yeah, like I, I, I could see myself just drinking this on an entire session on a summer's day, just again and again. It's it's a, it's the beer that, it's the beer when I, I want a sessionable beer, and I'm not thinking of saisons, and then I'm like, wait a minute, constant state, future mountain. That's that's the sessionable saison I want. And I just want to keep drinking it. So, yeah, three point nine. But um, yeah, compared to compared to a six mm. out of five, it may mm. seem low. But um, <laughs> I would say shockingly low. On, if on, we can on, average on, them, that'd be great because I'd like to see on, come on, up on my on my writing scale. That is um, that mm. is um, that that that's quite high. Right. Look, yeah, I, if, if you're getting above three point seven on mine, yeah, it's pretty high. I, I so, just yeah, I just look forward to um, walking past Edinburgh Gardens in um, um, Melbourne and seeing people necking these bottles. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very I, much. Yeah, I was um, that. It's a really good picnic beer. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I see myself recommending this beer to people. They're like, no, oh, we don't like, we don't like, you know, sour beers or whatever. It's like, no, seriously, get get yourself a constant state, but it'll it'll change your change your preconceptions well mate, mate, it may it maybe should be a four really but well I, mate, 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 maybe i'll come here we go yes come minutes. on <laughs> go you good thing <laughs> <laughs> well uh, look paul the way the averages go because i'm giving it a four so you're going to be stuck with a four for the bbc anyway Nice. Yeah, fuck it. Uh, it's a four. Yes. Yeah. Talk about arm twisting. I'm proud of you. Um, yeah, this is this is a beautiful beer. It goes down really easily. It's just it's just a really nice example of the style. Um, you guys are proud of it. You know, it's rubbing off on me. Every everybody's feeling the love of, over it. Um, that was a very hippie version of it, but you know, you get my idea. Um, uh, I can't give it six, but um, definitely four. <laughs> So an average of four point five eight. Jeff, uh, what, what do you think, Jeff? <laughs> He'll hear it later. Um, so let's let's do a quick pause, and then we'll be back with one more beer. 
And we are back and we're on to our, our last beer for this episode. And it's obviously another Future Mountain beer. It is... All right, who wants to tell me what it is this time? Shane, your okay. turn. Um, yeah, so this, uh, this beer is uh, Wonders of Nature. Uh, it's our barrel-fermented farmhouse ale. Um, so uh, we've, got, we've got two... We've got an old world farmhouse ale, Force of Nature, um, that's fermented in stainless. Um, we've got a tank over on the um, stillage uh, barrel side of of the brewery, um, where we do sort of mixed culture ferments in in, in stainless when we do. Um, but Wonders of Nature is uh, fermented in uh, barriques, so. Um, we we this start the origins of these two beers started off with the same yeast culture, um, but the two beers are very different because it highlights the repitching of the of the um, mixed culture, um, and and how it evolves from from one generation to the next and how it behaves differently in two different fermentation vessels. We use different grains, so they are two uh, very very distinctly different beers. Um, uh, interestingly, when uh, now we've so, sort of started talking about our farmhouse ales, uh, mixed uh, mixed culture beers, um, we haven't used a commercially propagated uh, yeast culture. When we first started, um, uh, we when we first started out, we actually propagated up some. A, it was a it was a bit of an evolving. Um, culture in our culture club room um, of a whole bunch of different bottle dregs uh, from some of our favourite breweries uh, overseas. Culture, culture club. club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no Dylan reference there. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so this was, um, yeah, this, this beer we bring out sort of two, uh, three times a year, um, probably more like two times a year. And she's a pretty wild beast um, that uh, we are at her mercy as to when it's ready because uh, it goes through some different stages. But the end result is a um, what we think is a sublimely beautiful farmhouse beer. I think I can second that. Um, uh, all right, my obvious question is, um, uh, is Wonders of Nature a Dylan song? I don't think it is. No, I don't, I don't know where Wonders of Nature is from. Force of Nature is an Oasis mm-hmm, song. Mm-hmm. But don't, I don't know where Wonders of Nature, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just on the list, and it was like, no. oh, yeah, I don't know where that No, no, don't, don't, don't tear away the curtain and, um, like, ma- ma- make it seem like all of this is just from, like, you know, pure chance. This is all well thought out. This is all poetic, you know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, all right, all right. First impressions, um, uh, Paul, Kyle, what do we think? Um, I am. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm reverting my my four star back on the previous beer because I prefer this. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I don't feel like this can get no, 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 for. You can't be doing that. It's, this is all recorded. Yeah, like, yeah. I can't edit that out. I mean, it's irrelevant anyway to the overall score because you know. But um, I this, I like I don't I don't know how to 
describe this to be honest. Like it's um, it's like it's like um, it's it's sour, but it's it's sweet and sour, but not like sweet and sour. We're definitely into some sort of jam poetry now. (laughs) Sour, yeah, sweet, it's it's, sour. Yeah, like I get this tingling on my tongue and it's just, it's, I, 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 I really like it. Like it's got that, it's got a citrusy kind of, sort of whiz-fizz backbone to it, for, for lack of a better. But, but, I hope but you find kind of, that on the tap. But um, it's, I'm, 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 I'm really liking it. I'm really liking it. Kyle? Yeah, like it's funky but candy and delicious. Yeah, it's. I I, I think I'm getting the same kind of vibe. Um, it's a really really nice like tartness. It's not super sour. Um, yeah, and that nice citrus note along with what I think I can taste is apple like kind of notes. But no, yeah, yeah, no, you're you're right. It's got a if we go back to what we were talking about earlier with that, that the Venn diagram, like this is, this has got a little bit of, oh, is, is, is this a funky cider? Kind of, there's a bit of, I feel like there's a bit of cider, apple coming through on it. Yep. But, well, all right. Um, I mean, I totally, I, I don't even have the words at this point yet. I, I don't even have the beat poetry. Um, it's just, it's, it's tasty. I really like it. It's tasting good. I haven't worked out proper adjectives yet. Um, uh, what are other people saying about it? Hopefully with better adjectives. Well, I think we've all seen the Melancholy Price review. Um, said, my buddy Macca, it's not often a beer takes me back to my childhood, but this drink molested my mouth. Turns, <laughs> <laughs> turns out he wasn't actually abused. Just comparing this to the goombag alcohol he had at 13, except this is gentrified like modern Footscray 4.75. That's a great review. Yeah. So good. uh, So good. That deserves to be up on your wall. (laughs) Uh, So I've got a follow up from Tim C, who commented on the last beer as well um he bought it from the brewery and he said this is pretty good there's lots happening in the in the nose so obviously i haven't got covid yet can't describe anything <laughs> other than grapefruit bitterness at the end Four stars. <laughs> i say to her you forget untapped um by default it it shows you your friend reviews so you're like oh there's no one's reviewed this beer and then you're like oh okay i just need to flick the uh flick that switch from friends to everyone yeah we just don't make so, notes uh octa octa threat at at the brewery with a tasting paddle in may this year yes citrus funky good time four stars <laughs> Short and sharp, like it. Yep. There you go, perfect. Uh, Roxanne H, uh, she drank it at home, bought it from Beer Deluxe in Fed Square. Um, 
So flavorful. Primary notes of lemon, slight acidity paired with full farm tastes. Light nose and taste of wood. Really great inspired of a Saison old Gers hybrid. 4.25. So um, Alex in March. So you don't often say, you don't often say this for an Aussie Bruin. Bruin, I'm saying that because it's uh, the, the review is in German. I'm assuming it's German. Um, so I'm going to click the old C translation button. Intense acidity, light woody aromas from fermentation in wine barrels, well balanced at the same time, 4.25. But, yeah, I mean, I would not expect to see one of your beers reviewed in German. So that's 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 something we've never seen that before. I don't think we've ever seen Australian beer reviewed in a foreign language. I don't think so. I mean, yeah. we, we've pro- and knowing us, we probably did an entire episode on that, and we just can't can't remember it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, Tom Tom W also at home, very tasty and well worth giving it time. Chardonnay oakiness with a general a gentle Granny Smith tartness, four point two five. Uh, Jason Allen at home, marvelous. Though for some reason it's a it's a period dot space marvelous, four point two five. Like I don't know what the point of that um, preceding period is, but um, alcohol. I'm guessing he likes the he likes the beer. <laughs> I seem I assume Jason's a he, but I may be wrong. Uh, what else we got? Uh, give, give me one more. Two more if you've got them. One more. Uh, Brody C. Uh, this was in uh, June 2020. Real fresh, great, great beer, number one for the day. Four stars. Carl, you got anything else for me? Uh, no, I was scrolling through to see if it, there was negative one. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Just to, you know, I balance guess. it out. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, everything everyone seems to have just enjoyed it. Yeah, people are really likely liking this. Um Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's talk about how much we like it. Um Shane, Ian, give me your reviews of this beer out of 5. Oh, it's 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 a classic 5 and a half. Um and yeah, so th- this this it, like Shane said, it's um, it's a beast. So we are we're at the mercy of whatever it does. This this mixed culture, uh, whereas the force of nature, we kind of feel like we can control a little bit more in um, in stainless steel. Um, we recently washed the yeast, um, and yeah, we can kind of control it a little bit more. This this one is is really quite annoying, really challenging. Um, it's a completely different, yeah, di- completely different. Beer, like wort going into barrel um uh, there's no finishing hops in it it's it's at about like i think it's at about four, eight ibus kind of thing um but it only spends about four months in in oak um and then it spends about the same amount of time in glass because it just goes through a lot of cycles um goes through the same kind of cycles in glass it's really frustrating because we just want to release it but it's it spends a lot of time uh, in a in a conditioning room um and yeah it's really moved and drifted um from from what it what it was um like three years ago we've had this yeast culture for yeah basically 
we uh, was it like three years? I don't know, three and a half years, something like that. Um, we made small home brews with this mixed culture, and um, uh, when we were building the brewery, um, and we had the beers on tap, and I remember Chris from Sailor's Grave coming in, just being uh, wowed by the culture, and uh, we I think we had Force of Nature on tap, the very first one. Um, he's very impressed with it, and um, yeah. So, th- but this has gone in a completely different direction. This is like the funkiest, basically the funkiest beer that we do. Um, which it's not, it's not, it's not crazy funky, but it's it's, um, it's like Kyle, you said it's tart, it's not sour. Um, yeah, we class this as tart. Uh, it's textural. It has a beautiful Brett character. Really, uh, really sit. Uh, really citrus forward but when it warms up you you really get a bit little bit more blue cheese earthy mushroom kind of um kind of effect on it um and yeah i love it because to me this is this is farmhouse brewing this is this is very seasonal very kind of um yeah it's it, it's not about us it's it's about the beer it's about the mixed culture it's 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 a uh, it's kind of a up to the mixed culture if it gets released or not. I love that. That is awesome. Five and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not as good as the last beer. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. He gave the last beer five, mm-hmm. so it is a, it's an improvement based on his ratings. Shane, see if you can top that. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, for me personally, uh, Wonders of Nature holds a pretty special um, uh place uh for me in my my personal um sort of palette uh future now and the thing that i like about it is that like what ian said the the uh the unpredictable nature of this culture sort of resulted in this beer being a beer that bridges between what we would call pretty stable for our farmhouse beers and then over into our sour beers. And it's it's almost like a gateway beer because I like what you said as, as well, reiterating what you said, Kyle, is the fact that it's it's just, it's slightly tart. It's not sour. We haven't introduced uh, any bacteria into this. Uh, to the best of our knowledge, it was a mixed culture of um, uh, an array of Britannomyces and Saccharomyces. But um, the... Um, the flavour profile of this, which is what I love so much about it, is that there is this this real sort of uh, that slight tartness gives that saliva inducing sort of juiciness on the palate. That you mix that with, you get this pineapple fruitiness and then this blue cheese element to it. That I just I think it's a perfect beer. That it's something that can either be on its own and just a wonderfully, you know, sort of enjoyable beer or the perfect sort of accompaniment beer for things like cheeses and things like that. So, you know, this beer, it's, to me, is, it's sort of, it takes me takes me to that special place where it's sort of like I just want to be at home um, on the front deck, sun out, shirt off, and the kids, the oh, kids no. feeding me grapes and um, my wife Cara <laughs> bringing the bringing the cheese platter, and this this beer is my my sort of desert island beer. Um, that happens um, often, does it? Um, <laughs> to, to be honest, it's never happened. But again, it's it, it, this is just what's just is just sort of in my head. Right. So look, to, you know, to be totally honest, you know, and and to put all that into balance, I've got to give it six point eight. 
Again, I want to see both of your your reviews on Untapped uh, comments now. Um, all right, uh, Paul, what do you think? About, uh, what do you think? So I'm uh, so now that the uh, peer pressure hype has worn off, I'm, I'm I'm reverting constant state back to back to my original three point nine. <laughs> and um, but this 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 is a four point three for me. Like this is um, this is, I think, just all the things that I said before. This to me, the like it, it's it's complex, but accessible, which you know, I mean, I can go into detail, but I think that that's a hard balance for a lot of brewers to to get. And I think this beer really nails it. Like you drink it, and you're like. You're, you're, if we're talking about, if we go right back to the, um, what we were talking about earlier, I think your average, you know, kind of, you know, your, your VB drinking dad and, um, your VB drinking mum, because, you know, everyone loves beer, comes in with the kid in the pram and is like, all right, what are you guys doing? You give them this and they're like, oh, that's, that's a bloody good beer. But you get your Cantillon, swilling, uh, you know, per, per, percos come in, and um, they're like, "Oh fuck, we want, we want, you know, a classic Belgian style beer." And they drink this, and they're like, "Fucking hell, that that hits the spot, doesn't it?" And um, yeah, I think that's 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 where my four point three comes from. I think you this beer is accessible and complex. And it really works on both those levels. Well done. Um, uh, all right, Kyle, what do you think? Um, so I've been a bit thrown out through this uh, while we've been drinking it because, yeah, it's it's super citrusy and really like really nice at the start. Um, and as soon as you mentioned, as it warmed up, I've done that classic thing of, you know, the imperial stout holding the glass to warm it up. And yeah, this, this like really nice earthy, funky kind of oaky character has come through, and I'm seeing that blue cheese that you're talking about. This is this is a really nice complex beer. Yeah, without being overly, yeah, without being overly unaccessible to people that aren't craft beer people. Um, yeah, so I think it's a. It's oh, it's got to be a four point two five for me. I don't have Paul's little one per like point one <laughs> drops in untapped. We're, we're not paying customers. Um, well, once once once, once you've like met once you've met met Greg, you you feel guilty like not throwing you know twenty twenty bucks US his way every year. <laughs> to Sorry, subscribe. Greg. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> um this is this is a 4.25 for me. It's it's just beautiful. I don't have the I don't have the um the, the palette that um uh, these fellows do in terms of trying to describe it in all those poetic tones, but it's just an exceptional beer. Simple as that. Um and uh I there, there's something there's something joyous and sad and amazing about the fact that um whatever it turns out is uh, whatever the next the next version of this turns out could be it uh, could 
could be different. Could be different. Yeah. That, um, that it's, mm. um, and there's 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 something glorious and fleeting about the the fact that what we're drinking now is a certain spa, a certain um, p- uh, state and time. Um, so yeah, it's it's glorious. Well done, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, I think just yeah. just a, a further point from that 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 I think uh, encapsulates sort of what we strive to do with um, you know all of our beers, but that what is being captured here is exactly what you said, uh, Chris, in terms of the fact that I think you know from time to time you you sort of you have those beers that and it's personal preference and personal taste, but it just it gives you a moment just to pause and just reflect. And, and I think it is that thing where it's sort of like we've found that working with these beers is extremely uh, laborious and also it's, it is a bit of a roller coaster and we do ride that roller coaster, Ian and I, a lot in terms of, you know, sort of making sure that we wait long at the right time frame to be able to, you know, put these beers out into the market and, it's always changing and always kind of evolving and you know when you do happen to capture these beers at that at that window where it's sort of like you know we're extremely proud of them it's um it's it's an enjoyable drinking experience and ultimately you know that balance and drinkability and that and that element of that experience of drinking these beers is you know that's exactly what we that's the reason why we do what we do so yeah um I, I will say that um, all of this and hearing your explanations and hearing how it all operates, it's kind of given me a whole new respect for the style. Um, and also that the fact that it seems like you're trying to tame a wild beast. Um, mm. Also, all, both of which I think are pretty accurate. Yep. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. It's, uh, that's the... that's. The, the one is a nature, force a nature, all these mixed fermentation beers. When... When we taste, I mean, we tasted this beer two weeks ago, and finally we went. It's good to go. We're good to go, and it's and it's and it's been. It hasn't been like that for you know a couple of months, and and you know in the past, we've uh, we've done that, and it ha- it's never been good to go. So we've just had to get rid of it. So, we yeah, I mean that's uh, that's soul destroying, but it makes these moments when you can release. One is the nature, even better. What happens, yeah, happens when uh, you get rid of it? Like, do, do you, like, do you, do you just drink it yourselves? Because you're like, well, you know, it's beer. We can't let it go to waste. Or it's literally no, just no, like, it, no, it, this it, is it, it, done. No, yeah, straight into the Mary Creek. Yeah, I mean, m- most it's re- it's really disappointing because. At pack time, at blending time, it, it's it's excellent, but it's gone it's gone through something in the bottle, and it can't. And and the thing is, like it it will get through it eventually, but then that vibrant, bright aspect of the beer is gone as well. Yeah. So that's that that's really it. It's gutting, you know. Like uh, when when you go, oh, it's coming through it, but it's lost everything. Um, it's lost what the 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 heart and the soul of the beer uh, was. So that's that's when we just, and that's the you know that's the that's why we uh, wanted wanted our own brewery because we want to yeah. make those calls. Um, you know, when we're not we're not packaging uh, forty thousand liters of wonders of nature. You know, so it's not uh, we. You know, we're talking about we're talking about five hundred liters, uh, which is it, which is a lot, which is a lot for us. Yeah. Um, uh, but still, it's. Um, 
uh, if we need to make that call, then then we do. I think it's you know there's something uh, something very interesting and exciting about that that whole notion of and I think people will hear this more and more um, as time goes by. Um, there's more and more producers that are sort of jumping onto that um, the uh, the broad umbrella of farmhouse beers and you know it's sort of like I encourage you know, sort of anyone and everyone to go out there and try as many different farmhouse beers as they can, as they can to sort of try and gather or get a, get a better understanding of what they interpret it to be um, and to sort of ask brewers that, that do make farmhouse beers what makes them, you know, like what's the story behind it because I think, you know, for us, you know, farmhouse beer and farmhouse brewing is a state of mind. You know, we most certainly don't profess to be on a, on a farm. Uh, we're a shed in Resi and there's some wonderful producers. Van Diemen's is the first one that springs to mind that, you know, Will is actually on a farm down in Tassie and knocking out some amazing, you know, um, spontaneous beers and slash farmhouse beers. But there's some wicked producers out there doing some doing some really cool stuff but the exciting and engaging thing from a consumer point of view is to actually engage with them to talk about, well, what's their interpretation of, in their mind, what makes a farmhouse beer? And I think it's it's sort of, it starts that that conversation. And for us, you know, farmhouse beer is a state of mind and, you know, it's exactly all the things that we just spoke about in terms of it, you know, it, giving you pause to, you know, ponder and think about, you know, kind of contemplate sort of sort of what you're drinking and, that's that's what that's what pumps our tires up and gets us going because it's um it's an exciting little segment to be involved in and there's a myriad of different interpretations and there's no clear right or wrong and that's kind of cool in beer. I I I don't I don't think I can add to any of that. Um, um so so I think I think based on that we'll we'll finish up for this episode which has been a giant bumper episode and an hour longer than I promised you guys. Um, so uh, thank you so much for coming along, um, for sharing the beers, for just telling us what the hell actually happens here. Um, I, I feel very much um, enlightened by the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's been real nice. Yeah, yeah cool. Uh, we, we have been the Brunswick Beer Collective. Uh, I have been Chris Shorten. Uh, with me has been uh, Jeffrey Chi. With me has been um, Kyle Campbell. Yeah. With me has been Paul Christoph. Adios. And we've had Shane and we've had Ian from Future Mountain. Um, check out their beers. They're definitely worth your time. Um, we will talk to you all in a few weeks.